Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Grow With Soul. Today is a solo show and back by popular demand, it's a Q&A episode with questions submitted by you guys via Instagram stories. So today we're going to cover a gamut of topics in this episode from how I started out to getting first clients, transitioning in an existing business and scaling what you do in a way that's joyful. But first off, we're going to start with a couple more kind of personal, I guess, non-categorizable questions. <laughs> so the first one was, do you have any plans to write a book? And I wondered whether anyone would ever ask this question. I'm kind of in two minds about it, to be honest. I wouldn't say that I'm someone who's always thought they have a book in them, but the concept of a major long form writing project does feel like something that I'd quite relish and that I'd find quite exciting, which I guess kind of harks back to writing dissertations and stuff. Fun fact, when I was an undergraduate, I was doing joint honours, which meant that I had to do a shorter dissertation in my third year. And I asked to do a longer one, which was denied. But there you go, that's a little (laughs) insight into my personality. I do think that for somebody who works in the space that I do, it's kind of an expected step in the career path, which in a way kind of puts me off because I never like to do things just because other people are doing them. But I do think that if if I were to do a book, it wouldn't be a marketing book because I do feel that with marketing kind of how-to style books. They're kind of out of date before they've even been published because it all is moving so fast and things are changing. So it would be more of probably a mindset or work-life balance kind of idea. But yes, I do have a few notes in the app on my phone with chapter lists and blurbs of ideas that I've had. But I'd say it's not a priority for me in the near future but something that I'm happy to kind of churn away in my unconscious before it comes to the surface. As I keep having to remind myself I have hopefully decades to go in this business so I really need to stop trying to do all of the things in the first three years. So I guess maybe is the answer to that question. So the second question is, what are your worries and how do you unwrap them? Which is like a hoof sort of question. But first of all, I really like that you use the word unwrap here because I think we've often kind of default to the terminology of overcome, which I don't think is very helpful. Having to overcome our fears or worries is then just like another thing on the to-do list that we're failing at. And so instead, I like to think of it as ways to live with and manage these elements of ourselves rather than try and like overcome them and defeat them. So I think my biggest and most common worry is not being enough for people, which usually manifests itself in thinking that people hate me, which sounds a bit overdramatic, but I think that's really just the nature of these worries, isn't it? We really go to worst case scenario in in three seconds. 
So I mentioned this last week in the episode with Joe that I do worry that every client I've ever worked with now kind of resents me. Same with people who've taken courses and stuff. So I worry that once we've kind of finished our work together, they now think it was a big waste of time and money and they kind of hate me for it. Even though I know from their feedback and like the work they're doing now and the successes that they've had that that's most likely not the case. And yeah, so often if I get a message or a comment from someone that I've worked with before or who's bought a course and you get the kind of little preview where you can't really see what they're saying, I go into a massive panic because I think they're going to be complaining about how awful it was. So even though that's never happened. So as you can hear me doing here, I try to unwrap this worry by counteracting it with logic So building up a bank of evidence that I can call on to then prove that worry wrong. And at times that I know that I've done a good job, like on a call with a client, I will tell myself, you did a really good job for her just now, to try and reinforce that for later to call upon. But mostly, as I said earlier, I'm trying to live alongside it and just not let it take over. So it's kind of like how Bruce Banner manages being the Hulk because he says he's always angry so he can just like be the Hulk at a moment's notice because he's always got that level of anger there so by not trying to push it down or get over it but just having it present next to me it's somehow less disastrous like it doesn't pop up and surprise me nor does it kind of wash over me and take over my whole existence like it has before it's a, a sort of low hum in the background rather than a whole orchestra okay So how did you pin down exactly what your business would be? So I say, I still haven't pinned down exactly what my business will be. Honestly, this year has been very much a transitional one and I'm still not entirely sure what will be coming out the end of that transition. So I completely get the desire for certainty, especially if you're starting out and you're being thrown around in the sea of uncertainty and you just want something firm to hold on to and you see all the people with their, inverted commas, professional, successful businesses, and you think they must have it absolutely sussed, and it's all nailed down, and and you need to do that to be professional too. But that's so much pressure to think you have to nail down exactly what your business is going to be forevermore, ever and ever, amen. Because really, fluidity is key, and it's key for a lot of reasons. One is that if you're just defining your business now, you don't want to spend months and months perfecting a business model, getting it all planned out on paper, getting the perfect website, all of those things. And then you get your first client or you do your first piece of work and you think, oh, actually, in reality, I really hate doing this and I don't want to do it anymore. Then you have to unravel everything again and start over. So two is that fluidity allows you to move the marketplace and tweak what you do to best serve your customers because what your customers need will change as circumstances change and as small businesses without you know executive boards to report to and multi-levels of sign-offs to go through that is really our strength and thirdly you are a multifaceted multi-interest living breathing soul your life and circumstances and what you love and what brings you joy will change over time and your business needs to be able to change and flex with you. 
So a compromise here is to instead think about what is my business going to be in this current season? What do I need now and for the foreseeable future from my business? And pin that down. So when I started, I was offering coaching as well as freelance marketing service on the side. Then that changed to just coaching. Then I added on workshops and then I added on courses because I wanted some more kind of in-person interaction and some more one-to-many stuff. Then I eased up on the coaching a little bit because I needed a, a lower volume of clients just to make it manageable. So it's only been two years, but there's been a lot of tiny different iterations of what my business is because what I've needed has changed. So the constant, rather than being the what, has been the why. The firm rock in my turbulent sea has been my purpose and what I'm doing this for, both in terms of myself and the life that I want and in terms of the impact I want to have in this world and how I want to help people. It's been the consistent why that means that all the iterations around the what have either not been noticed, I don't know, you tell me, but they, or they've made sense because they all flowed from that place of why. So really, rather than try and pin down exactly what your business is, pin down a purpose that you can really work with and then think about what you need in this season to work on it. Okay, the next question is, how long did it take you to secure your first clients and how did they initially discover you? So thinking back, the timeline at the beginning of my business was as follows. So this is in 2017. In April, I handed in my notice at my job and announced on Instagram, where at the time I had 4,000 followers, that I was going to be doing something self-employed. And then I was kind of working on that in the background. And then in July, I left my job and announced my new services. It then took until October to get my first inquiry and I booked my first client around November time. And so in the interim period, I did a bit of freelance work for my old job and for an agency. But in terms of the actual coaching clients, it was several months until somebody even inquired, let alone booked. Interestingly as well, My first inquiries and clients were from people who had discovered me after I launched my services, so not the audience that I had built up prior to that. At that time, I was also only using four channels to promote my business, Instagram, my blog, my email list and outreach or, you know, going onto other people's podcasts. So I didn't have this podcast, I wasn't really doing Pinterest, I'm still not really on Facebook but I wasn't on Facebook, all those other things. So my first clients found me through Instagram and through a podcast that they'd heard me on and then they read my blog and inquired from there. So the important thing here is that having a journey for people to go on with your brand. So go back and listen to the episode a couple of weeks ago about the customer journey for kind of a more in-depth look on that. But the point is that it wasn't enough for them to see my Instagram feed or to hear the podcast. The blog was a crucial component in helping them make the final decision, even if it wasn't how they first found me. So I think that very much when we're trying to get our first client, we're all about like the acquisition part of that journey of how we're going to get people to us. But if we fixate too much on being found in the first place, then there's no breadcrumbs for people to follow after that and to get them to the point where they are interested and they trust you enough to to inquire. 
Okay, and this question is kind of linked to the last one, which was how did you test the market when you first started? So as you can probably tell from the story I just told, I didn't really test the market in any official capacity actually at all. I suppose you can say that I accidentally tested it by putting out lots of different offerings and then refining them down until something clicked for people and they got it. Because really in a lot of ways, that's the only way to truly test the market is to put the idea out there and see if people will buy. The trouble with doing market research and testing where you're sending surveys and doing like polls and things like that is people always go, oh yeah, yeah, I totally love that. Oh yeah, I definitely get that. I'm really interested. But when they have to actually put their money where their mouth is, it can become a bit of a different story. So putting up a sales page and opening pre-orders for something so you don't have to make it, you can just use the pre-orders to test whether there's interest there is really kind of the truest way to test the market for a new idea. Okay, new question. Can I start anything business-wise when my style, I make art prints, etc., hasn't developed coherently yet? And how do you market that? So yes, you can. <laughs> um, I think it's an epidemic amongst creatives that they feel they need to wait until before they can take the next step in their business. So wait until they've done a qualification, wait until their style has developed. But the problem is the until will never come because we always move the goalposts. You could do nothing but work on your practice for the next six months, but it still won't be coherent enough in your eyes. Here's how I look at it. In any given moment, we are at once the best we've ever been and the worst we will ever be. So yes, your style isn't developed as it will be in three months, three years, three decades, but also it's the very best, the most sophisticated it's ever been your whole life. So work with that instead, rather than the future stuff that it hasn't doesn't even exist yet. Work with what is true in this moment. So kind of with that soapbox out of the way, the question that we're really asking here is how do I start and market a business when I know the style of my product is going to change? And then this that takes us back to the question about pinning down what your business is going to be, that this fluidity is a good thing. Think of every artist you know and love, every fashion house, every department store, their style evolves and still they maintain their business. It's actually more expected that your product is going to evolve over time because otherwise it's going to date and it's going to be behind. So I wouldn't say that's really something to worry about. Your key here is, like I said earlier, to build a business around a purpose rather than a product, to make it around what you believe about life, what inspires you, and let the work you do and the work that you sell be the byproduct of that, the result of that rather than at the centre. So people are kind of buying into who you are and the person that they want to be and um, what you believe, rather than just they like your style and then if it shifts, you're going to lose them. Okay, next question. How would you approach starting a podcast for your business? So first of all, I would backtrack and start with the question, why do you want to start a podcast for your business? What is the objective that starting a podcast is going to fulfill? So often with marketing, we we start with a thing that we want to do because it looks fun or kind of like all the cool successful people are doing it. Um, but if we don't give it a specific job we want it to do for us, it can't possibly be focused and effective. 
So once you know the objective, also take a moment to check whether a podcast is actually the best thing to achieve that. So let's say that you're a coach and you want to give people an insight into what it's like to speak with you on a regular basis. Then, you know, a podcast pretty much hits that objective bang on the head. But if your objective is that you want to get your brand in front of bigger and new audiences, then I'd probably argue that the most efficient way to do that is through outreach. So pitching to magazines, to bloggers, to going on to other people's podcasts, rather than starting your own, because it's going to be such a long slog to build up that audience for that podcast. But assuming that you're sure the podcast is the way to go, here are the two main things to decide. So one, why should someone listen to your podcast? The podcast apps are full of shows now that really kind of follow the same formula and they kind of have the same rotation of guests. So your new podcast needs to feel like a breath of fresh air. What can you do that is going to make people want to listen? So for me, I kind of had this similar question because I wanted to start this podcast and I wasn't quite sure how I'd be able to make it different. And the coaching episodes that I do were kind of the thing that was slightly different. So that's what you've got to find is what feature or structure can you have that's uniquely yours. So a good tip here is to listen to shows outside of your niche. So if you're going to start a business podcast, listen to some narrative ones, like some of the murder mystery ones that people love, um, because listening to other genres will give you an idea of what's possible in the medium and give you some ideas that you can kind of transfer over to your context. Okay, so the second thing to decide is how much of the work am I going to do? So when I started Grow With Soul, I knew I had neither the time nor the inclination to learn how to edit audio. But it's just not my zone of genius, not the best use of my time to try and learn how to do it. So I always knew that if it was going to happen, I'd have to outsource that part of it. And I work with the outstanding Alex at Sonics, who I hope you agree, does a great job week after week on the sound. So of course, there's a cost to outsourcing this work. So you need to work out whether that's a cost that you can absorb or whether you get sponsorship on the podcast or you kind of do a crowdfunding model to pay for it or whether it makes more economical sense for you to learn how to do it yourself. So Um, He'll probably be cringing as he edits this as well, but Alex on his site does have some really great resources about what it actually takes to edit this and all the tech side and all the software you'll need and the equipment and all the things that I don't understand about podcasting. So you can go to his site, which I'll link in the show notes and on the blog there, there's lots of introductory stuff. Okay, so once you've decided upon your show structure and you know who is going to do the technical elements really the only thing left is to start recording. And in terms of marketing it and starting it, tease it to your existing audience, build up the word of mouth for it and encourage people to share it with their friends. I know that there's a lot of focus on kind of Apple podcast charts and that kind of thing, but do you find new podcasts that way? Or do you tend to find them because somebody shared a great episode or your friend has said, you need to listen to this? So that's why using word of mouth as a way to grow the podcast is often the most effective. Okay, next question. I'm transitioning my business from wedding photography to holistic therapies. I've had to add in agency work to make up for the financial shortfall while I'm still building the new business. What's your tip for juggling juggling lots of activities and still getting stuff done? 
So this must be like such a big change, both, you know, obviously in terms of the work you're doing, but that jarring of having to do work for other people when you've been so used to doing your own thing. I'd say, first of all, just to make sure that your expectations of yourself are realistic. Because you're just not going to be able to do the same volume of stuff when you've taken on other work. So don't overload yourself with a full-time to-do list in part-time hours. The other thing I'd suggest is to prioritise heart. So 80% of business comes from 20% of activities. So identify your 20%. So for me, I know that Instagram, this podcast and my email list are my 20%. So each week, prioritise the elements that make up that 20%, these things that that really make stuff happen in your business. So I like to always schedule three things a week that are going to move me forward so that in amongst all the admin and the firefighting, there are always some things in there that's going to maintain momentum week to week. I'd also say to be on your own side with it all. We can so quickly get to a place where we're kind of flogging ourselves to hit arbitrary deadlines or just like white knuckling a to-do list because we just have to we just have to do it all um over the last few weeks I've been juggling creating two new products marketing one of them my client work my normal content creation and then on top of that buying a moving house with all the paperwork and packing and kind of finding roofers um that that entails so what made that bearable and actually made everything happen was being okay with things being a little fluid, with knowing that I'd probably drop a ball or two, but that if something happened next week instead of this week, that that was okay. And having only a really small list of achievable priorities every week, because if you've just got this huge long list and nothing ever gets done, then it you lose momentum and you lose motivation. So make sure it's really doable and prioritise really hard. Okay, and our last question is how do I make my paper goods business more financially sustainable without turning into a card making factory? And actually, I think this is a question that a lot of people can relate to because essentially we're asking, how do I grow and scale what I do in a way that's going to bring me joy? So what we need to do here is abstract the problem, remove it from its context to bring some more creativity to it. When we're in our business, it's really hard to climb out of the rut of what we're already doing to see the other possibilities. So you're so used to thinking in terms of cards that they're they're your starting point when really you need a different starting point. So how to do that? So for a moment, forget about the things that you do and have done and instead look at what it took to do them. So what skills you brought to create those things and what the strongest elements of them were. So the parts of the whole. There will have been skills in there as a designer, as an artist or illustrator, your storytelling skills, research skills, the strength of understanding what small things would have an impact on more people, of wanting to teach and enlighten. These are your raw materials that so far you've been making into cards, but what else can they be made into? How else can they be put together in a recipe to provide value? Maybe it's as a book illustrator or a branding designer, maybe in curating events, collaborating on product lines with other stores, creating homewares or physical products of your own, a membership. So just brainstorm wildly around all the ways your abstract skills can be alchemized into value. And then it's a case of choosing what feels most exciting. So there ends our Q&A. 
I hope you enjoyed it and if you're not already following me on Instagram you can do so at Simple and Season and that's where I always put in stories when I'm looking for questions for these Q&A episodes so if you wanted to contribute a question and you haven't that's how to do it or if you can always drop me an email um, if you'd like to submit a question as well. Otherwise, as always, all the links and resources that I mentioned will be on my site, which is simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And as I said in the episode, do forward this on to a friend if you think they'll find it useful. And until next time, I hope you grow with soul. <laughs>